It is the presence of the living God that makes all the difference about this celebration that we are experiencing today. In fact, I remember as I was uh, growing up and, and getting older and starting to get out on my own, I began, became a college student and I was struggling to make it through and had, you know, some financial hard times eating ramen noodles every day of the week. Uh, some of you college students will understand what ramen noodles are. Ten, uh, what is it? Ten packs for a dollar. That was a great meal. We understand when we, went to, when we went to Christmas celebrations, when we went to weddings, oftentimes I had a little quip and quote that I would say. I would tell the people, whoever was there and whatever they were expecting, my presence is your present. If you're looking for something, my presence is your present. College students, remember that when you come home. Mom and dad do appreciate your presence. They want you there with them. But the greatest gift that has ever been given is the presence of the living God in the form of Jesus Christ. As we come this morning and we worship God for this great gift of the person and work of Jesus Christ who gives us salvation, we understand that this babe born of a virgin in a stable in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, this babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger, this babe who had been testified about by the prophets of old, affirmed by the testimonies of the angels and the firmament, and exalted in the pages of God's holy word, the scripture. This child, Jesus Christ, is the source of salvation for all men. Last week we said that it would have been enough if God had simply revealed himself through the scriptures to tell us how we might relate to him. If that was all God had chosen to reveal was to reveal himself through the scriptures, that would have been sufficient. But now we praise God and we celebrate today because he didn't just reveal himself through the scriptures, but now he has revealed himself in skin for our creator God. Has taken to himself flesh and dwelt among us. This morning in the pinnacle celebration of the fact that God did not just reveal himself in scriptures, but revealed himself in, in skin, it is our goal to call for all to come and follow Jesus. Our goal is not just to claim this truth for ourselves, but to share and to show that same truth to all those who are around. Indeed, John is writing this passage within the go- his gospel as an evangelist. He's not keeping it to himself. He's not just holding the little light under a bushel so that he can make sure that it lights his life and nobody else's. He's going and telling everyone that he has opportunity. Jesus Christ is the source of true light for man and true life for eternity. Indeed, Jesus is the one who is able to take anyone from anywhere with anything in their background and make them a transformed son or daughter, a saint before the living God. Indeed, Jesus was the one who suffered so that we could see salvation. And John writes these facts in this passage today so that they might lead us to faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so as we read these passages in John's gospel, we ought to understand these are facts of what happened, how these things came to pass. But understand, if that's all you do with them and you understand they're facts and you just store them away and tuck them away for a rainy day, then you've missed the point because John is writing all of these facts down so that you might have faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Purpose of John's writing in this passage is to be an evangelist. 
We are to take this message across the lands. Indeed, Keith Getty has written very well in his, in his song titled Across the Lands, You're the Word of God the Father from before the world began. Every star and every planet has been fashioned by your hand. All creation holds together by the power of your voice. Let the skies declare your glory. Let the land and seas rejoice. You're the author of creation. You're the Lord of every man. And your cry of love rings out across the land. The cry of God's love rings out across our land this morning because He came in the presence of man, lived as a mortal, died, and then rose again in glorious victory. And because of His presence with us, we can have the hope of eternity. We need to understand these facts so that they might lead us to express faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. For indeed, the miracle of Christmas is that the Word became flesh. That the Word became flesh. So let us take our Bibles and look there at John chapter 1, verse 14, and let us see what it, how it describes and depicts the incarnation of the living God in the form of humanity. Let's stand in honor of this, the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Says in John chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and of truth. Father, we ask now that You would come and illuminate this passage to us. Father, that you would not just allow us to understand the facts, but, Father, that you would lead us to faith. And, Father, that as we study in this passage, Father, that you would allow us to, Father, not just internalize it, but, Father, that we would then begin to show and to share the gospel with all those that we come into contact with. This morning as we study, Lord, we ask that what we do not know, that you would teach us. What we have not, that you would give us. And what we are not, that you would make us. Lord, make us into into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we ask ask now, as always, that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So we come this morning, the Word became flesh, and the Word that became flesh is the absolute hope of humanity for our salvation and for our right standing before the living God. This is what makes us children of the Most High. The Word became flesh is the hope of humanity for our salvation and for our standing as children of God. There in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, he says, As many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even so, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. What is John writing for? He's not writing for you to know facts. He's writing for you to express faith in the one sovereign savior of the world, Jesus Christ. As we study this passage today, 
and we unpack the miracle of Christmas that is the Word became flesh, I want to ask you two main questions. The first question that I want us to uh, gear our study around is what does this mean for us? The second question is, well, why does this matter? But if we're going to understand Scripture, we need to start with that first basic question. Number one, what does this mean? We understand that God has given, what, all Scripture by His breath. That's what we studied last week. And it is profitable for us. Every aspect and area of it is profitable. But we need to understand two things when we come to the text of Scripture. First of all, what does it mean? Second of all, why does it matter? And so this morning, let's begin with the question, what does this mean for us? And we come to this passage, and many of us instantly understand the $10 word that is used in a theological context to describe this passage in John chapter 1, verse 14, when it says the word became flesh. I've used it a couple times this morning. What is that $10 theological term? The incarnation. Good job. I'm not sure who it was, but somebody got it right. You were listening. The second person of the triune God coming in human flesh. Why would this ever happen? Why would this go on? Well, he had to come to be the sacrificial substitute to redeem man from the penalty of our sin. See, we owed a debt we could not pay. We can never be perfect. We can never be pure. We can never live up to God's standards. But God in his grace has now given Jesus Christ in our place. The incarnation precedes the atonement. And so, in order for God to deal righteously with His wrath, His justice, His judgment against our sin, He had to have an object that was perfect and pure and able to be received into His presence. And that object was a person of Jesus Christ. Indeed, we owed a debt we could not pay, and He paid a debt. He did not owe. The testimony of of Christianity is that salvation flows from the redemptive love of God the Father through the redemptive work of God the Son and by the redemptive force of God the Holy Spirit. Salvation flows from God to man. How? But through the redemptive love of God the Father by the redemptive work of Jesus Christ by the redemptive force of God the Holy Spirit. It is a staggering claim that the triune God has planned and purposed to redeem His sinful and fallen humanity, His fallen creation, through the substitutionary sacrifice of the second person of the Trinity. But that is exactly what the Bible claims. Now, as we consider what this means to us, we ought to consider in two different ways. First of all, we're going to address the terminology, and secondly, or the words that are used to describe this. Secondly, we're going to address it theologically. So first of all, let's jump into the terminology and let's ask ourselves exactly what do these words mean that John is using in this passage. And the first major word that I want you to look at is the word logos. Word. Indeed, in the 70s and 80s, that was a popular question, wasn't it? What's the word? You remember that? Some of you, what's the word? Well, peace, love, and chicken grease. Right, David Gardner? That right? Listen, what's the word? 
And we need to understand exactly what the word is. And in order to understand what John is saying, we must understand that John is writing out of a strong Hebrew background. If you remember the Christmas story, his father is there in the temple in the most holy of places offering sacrifices to God. And when he is there, what happens? Gabriel, an angel of the Lord, comes and appears and says, you're going to have a son and you're going to name your son who? John. John. And John is coming to us from that background. He's writing out of that theological background that would have been prevalent within the Hebrew people. And so when he says the word, what does he mean by the word? Well, I want to start you off on the right track and I'll let you do other investigative research later. But first of all, in Psalm 33, 6, he is drawing upon that passage when he says the word became flesh. What is the word in Psalm 33, 6? It says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. Now, I indeed agree with Mr. Cooper Edmondson that uh, he is exactly right when he says you can take any passage of scripture in the Bible. And if you start cross-referencing it before long, you will have been able to journey all the way from Genesis to Revelation through the Bible just by cross-referencing the start and starting in one single passage of Scripture. He is exactly right, because all of Scripture is intertwined. But I want you to see and understand where John is starting from when he uses the term word is from Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Start there for your study. But understand, the Hebrew understanding, the word of the Lord is indistinguishable. It is inseparable from the action of the Lord. The word of the Lord, what he says, is indistinguishable, inseparable from what occurs, from the action of the Lord. In Genesis chapter 1, God spoke and what happened? created the heavens and the earth. He created everything. He spoke and light came to pass. He spoke and birds and animals appeared. He spoke and all the trees of the garden came into existence. For by His Word, God caused action to come to pass. God's Word is His action and His action is His Word. By His Word, God not only creates, but He also reveals Himself. He rescues man and He rules over all of creation. You want a simple summation of how God works and how, how He acts? Well, He acts by His Word. He speaks and things are accomplished. He acts, but he not only acts to create, he reveals, he rescues, and then he rules. Now in this verse, it is evident from the context of verse 14 there in John chapter 1 that this verse in the Gospel of John has the content of describing the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you ever want to know the content of a verse, what are you supposed to study? The context of the verse. The content is obviously describing the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, the one about whom John is writing throughout the gospel. In order to know someone, now we must establish first what? A lines of communication, right? If I came up here this morning and I stood here in silence, how much would you receive? A lot more than you get now, right? Here's the reality. In order for me to know you, what do you have to do? You have to speak. 
In order for you to know me, I have to do what? Speak. And so here's what God is doing. He is speaking. He is speaking his action into, uh, into reality. And so God, understand, is working through this to show himself and to reveal himself. It is impossible for us to know someone without being spoken to, without receiving revelation. And we are entirely dependent upon God's self-disclosure to know and understand God. In the Bible, God has said exactly what he intended to say for exactly what he for exactly the purposes he intended it to be said to accomplish everything he intended to accomplish see god speaks and creates the universe god speaks and reveals himself in scripture and finally he speaks savingly in the person and work of jesus christ who is revealed in skin that's exactly what is going on in this passage we understand that that's exactly what's testified to within the scriptures when Hebrews chapter 1 says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, now in these last days has spoken to us. How? How? In his son. In his son. Through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory. The exact representation of his nature. And upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins. He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. That is Jesus Christ. He is the revelation of God himself. Here's how you might sum it up and say it very practically and very quickly. Here's what you could say. He is the basic building block of all of reality. God is the source and substance of all of reality. And that's exactly what the Greek would have said if you had asked them, well, what is the logos? Well, that's the launching point of all reality. That's the basic building block of everything. If you had asked the Jew, he would have said, absolutely, I agree with you. It is the source. But let me tell you, that's not just a construct. It's not just a postulate. It's not just some nebulous force. The person is the one who spoke into being, and that person is Yahweh. So building upon that, as they were sitting at Starbucks, John says, the Word became flesh. The Word, the source and substance of all creation, has now come to live in humanity. The one who has made heavens and showed himself, showed his plan through the prophets, has now revealed to us his Son in human, human form so that he might redeem mankind. So when you're having conversations on your college campuses and they say, well, you know, I, I, I subscribe to the Big Bang Theory. I, I subscribe to, you know, the fact that there's a nebulous force that we can never really know. Well, I subscribe to the fact that we nobody really knows for sure. Well, I subscribe to the fact that there is a starting point. There had to be a launching point, but I don't know what that launching point is. You can sit them down and you can say, now you know the Word has become flesh the starting point was God himself and no other secondly the second word or term that we need to be familiar with in this passage is dwelt 
is dwelt. And God indeed dwells with his people. In the Old Testament, we understand that he had a tent of meeting there in the wilderness to show himself among his people. How did the people know their God and how did they meet with him? Well, in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, or Exodus 29, uh, verses 40, verse 42 and following, it says this. It shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the doorway of the tent of meeting. The tent of what? What are they doing? Meeting with God before the Lord where I will meet with you to speak to you there. I will meet there with the sons of Israel and it shall be consecrated by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate Aaron and his sons to minister as priests to me. I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. They shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Six different times, six different ways. He says, I want to meet with my people. I want to dwell with my people. And here's the thing. In the wilderness, they had the tent of meeting, that tabernacle that they were able to celebrate in. After that, when they settled there in the land of promise and built the temple in Jerusalem, that was the place where God's presence dwelled in a very special way where the people were able to come and to meet with the living God. But understand that hope was crushed. It crumbled as the Babylonians invaded and destroyed the temple and exiled the people. Indeed, for 400 years, there was utter silence where Where in the world is God? What is God doing? How is God going to speak? Are we ever going to get to meet with Him again? John says, The Word became flesh and met with you, tabernacled with you, took on flesh and dwelt among you. We are not offering to our community an intellectual construct or a paradigm. The Lord of the universe has now come and dwelled. He's pitched His tent. He's tabernacled with us. Indeed, He is Emmanuel, God with us for the brokenhearted, for the lonely, for the tearful, for those who are struggling and facing trials and troubles and tribulations today. Listen, we're not offering you hope in just some little thing that comes and goes and passes away. We're offering you hope of humanity in the living Lord Jesus Christ. This is God in human flesh. And He dwells with His people. Lord of the universe has come for you. The hope of the gospel is that Emmanuel, God, is with us. His dwelling among us and with us. And he, He is even coming again to fully and finally deliver His children from the pains of this fallen world. And lest we forget, we move all the way from the tabernacle of the Old Testament where God is meeting and dwelling with His people to the person and work of Jesus Christ where God has now come to dwell among men to Revelation chapter 21 where we rejoice at seeing God reveal Himself fully and finally so that we might dwell with Him. And there in Revelation chapter 21, we see the words of, of, 
uh, John that comfort us so much at funerals when he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And he will what? Dwell. He will dwell among them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away, and now God's people are dwelling in the presence of God for all of eternity. Oh, what a day it's going to be as we have had Two funerals in the last uh, on Friday by itself. Last year's we had seven funerals between Thanksgiving and New Year's. We look for hope. We understand there is pain, there is sorrow, there is suffering, there is sin within this world that is causing us to fall apart, and we're wondering: Can the presence of God ever put it back together? Absolutely. For the presence of God was given in the person and work of Jesus Christ to redeem us. But the person of Jesus Christ is also coming back to call us into his presence for all of eternity. Third word is glory. Just look in Exodus chapter 33 and 34. And there you'll see that passage. You'll see in that passage uh, the story of Moses asking to see the glory of God. No man can see and behold the glory of God and live to tell about it. And so we need to be careful when we read any book that would say that they have seen God, the Father, in person and been visited by His presence. We need to be very careful because the Bible says, indeed, no one has ever seen God. Verse 18 goes on to expand upon that. But we understand we cannot see God and live. Moses asked to see God's glory. But in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7... God allows His presence to pass before Moses, but he cannot look upon His glory. And he says to Moses as he passes His glory, as His glory passes by that cave, the cleft of the rock, he says, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. He says, listen, you want to see my glory? Here's my glory. My glory is revealed in my character and nature. I am a God of what? Of compassion and grace, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. I am a God who keeps mercy for thousands, who forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. That's who I am. And what do we see in Jesus Christ? The glory and truth of God. A man of compassion, a man of grace, a man of truth, a man who forgives sins, not based on us being able to, for, to work out our salvation and overcome our sins, but based on his work at the cross. 
see the glory of God is shown in his attributes, his character and nature. And we see immediately John makes the connection in this passage between Yahweh's self-revelation to Moses and the revelation of Jesus Christ before all men in his life. This claim draws our hearts and our minds to understand the claim of our faith that Jesus Christ is the true source of revelation and he is the true source of salvation. No other way, no other possibility exists. And so this Christmas as we come and we celebrate by giving gifts and receiving gifts, we understand that the greatest gift that has ever been given is the gift that God has given in the person and work of Jesus Christ who reveals His glory, His justice, His righteousness, His grace, and His truth. For He is the exact person and representation of God. But those are the terms that are important. But quickly, let us see why Those terms are important. They're important because of the theological concepts behind them. First of all, there's eternity. Eternity. There was never a time when the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, did not exist. And that all things did not rely upon Him. Look in verse 1. In the beginning was the what? Was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. This is a staggering claim. This is what the Bible is all about. This is diametrically opposed to the Jehovah's Witness and the Mormon claims that Jesus Christ was a created being, not the intrinsic revelation of the living God. Listen to me. What he is saying here is that Jesus has eternally existed. The Arian heresy says that there was a time when the Son of God was not. If there was a time when the Son of God was not, then He must be created. If He is created, then He is not uncreated. And if He is not uncreated, then He is not God. And that is just the packaging that Jehovah's Witness and Mormons use for the basics of their doctrine. But understand, John chapter 1 says, He, what, was God. He was with God in the beginning. He has always existed. He did not come into being and take upon himself an actual personhood when he was made a child. He was already God. Secondly, he has a personality. We notice that he was with God. This means that he is co-equal and co-eternal with the living God. Indeed, the Son did not become the Son at the incarnation. For the triune God is one true and living God, indivisible and infinite. In essence, that exists co-eternally and co-equally in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They share, a per, they, they share deity, which is the third word. But they are distinguishable in personality. The reality of what is said is that he was with God. That means that there indeed is one God existing co-eternally and co-equally in three persons revealed in the Holy Scriptures as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But they make up one God and Jesus was God. 
See, the presentation of deity is always from above. That always precedes his personhood. For indeed, he establishes, John establishes Christ's credentials as God, then reveals the reality of the plan of salvation, calling for God to come in the flesh, dwell among his people, redeem them from their sin as he revealed the grace and truth of God. Well, what in the world does this mean, Pastor? This means that Jesus Christ never started or stopped being God. Jesus Christ is God. He is eternal and everlasting. And He is the only source of hope and salvation for man. For in John chapter 1, verse 29, John sees Jesus coming and He says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Me. Listen, we give good gifts at Christmas. Why? Because we are reflecting the goodness and the greatness, the graciousness of our loving God. Children, when you open up your packages and you look under that tree and you see all of these gifts, understand this is not because your mom and dad are the best people in all of the world. It is because your mom and dad are trying to reflect to you the goodness the graciousness and the gifts of our heavenly father who has redeemed our souls and secured our destiny with him for all of eternity what does this mean this means we must do something with the person of jesus christ we must either receive him or reject him we either revile him or we surrender to him this indeed is a point that we can't get around we can't get around the fact that Jesus is the elephant in the room all of all of our society celebrates all kinds of things and they have made it into a consumeristic holiday but this morning listen John has confronted us with the fact that God stepped into human flesh and gave to us the opportunity to be made sons and daughters of the Most High, and we must decide this morning what we will do with Jesus Christ. Will I receive Him or will I reject Him? See, He's the fork in the road. He's the fruitcake on the table. Some of you want the fruitcake. You desire the fruitcake. I smell it and go, wow, I'll pass on this one. This morning there are some of you who need to come and receive the gift of God's eternal salvation through Jesus Christ, the Son. The question for us is, are we really willing to surrender everything? See, what does it mean? It means that God, that Jesus Christ has revealed God in the human flesh. It means that Jesus Christ has provided for us the source of salvation. It means for us this morning that we must answer the question, do I want to live by God's grace and for His glory? Why does it matter? It matters because eternity is at stake. See, you might sidestep the sappy sentimentalism of a reduced Christianity in our culture offered within many churches, but you can't sidestep the Word of God in skin revealed in the Scriptures. You must either receive Him or you must reject Him, but you must do something with Him. Listen, you can make yourself around by watching those Lifetime movies and seeing, you know, the Grinch and Frosty the Snowman and a fat man that is dressed up in a fancy get-up. But you've got to do something with the God who has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. 
God not only reveals Himself in the Scripture, He has revealed Himself in skin. And it is through that revelation that the atonement was made for our sin, that God provided the source of our salvation. For indeed, Derek Prime says it well when he says, the incarnation was the key to God's amazing plan of salvation. It was necessary that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, be truly and fully man so that he might be able to stand in our place as our substitute and by this means accept on our behalf the righteous anger of God against our sins listen this morning the question for you and i is just this do we have a sovereign savior who has been offered as a substitute on our behalf to stand and receive the wrath the judgment and the justice of god against our sin or are we just sitting here going well i understand that's what the preacher thinks but it's just another day of the year Oh yeah, a lot of eating, a lot of festivities, a lot of family, a lot of friends, a lot of gifts given and received. But it's just another day of the year. And Jesus was just another human, just another person. The greatest desire this morning would be that you would see and understand what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says when it says God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we in him might be the righteousness of God. That's the Christmas story. The miracle of Christmas is that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He received the penalty you deserved and I deserved so that we wouldn't have to die for our sins, but so that we could live in everlasting life. Father, this Christmas, let our hearts be attuned to that. Let our hearts be refreshed by that. Lord, let us see your Savior. Let us surrender our lives to you and to you alone. And Father, in everything that we do and everything that we say, Father, let us truly believe that you 2,000 years ago gave your only begotten Son to be born in a manger, to be born in a stable, wrapped in swaddling clothes, and laid in a manger. You gave him so that he might grow in wisdom and stature. And so that he might grow to be a perfect and pure substitutionary sacrifice at the cross of Calvary. To die in our place so that he might receive upon himself the full weight of your judgment and justice against our sin. And so that on the third day he would rise again in glorious victory over sin, death, and hell. Lord, that is what it meant. For the word to become flesh. Let us rejoice in that this morning as we close with a time of commitment. Lord, if there are any here who do not know you, let this be the morning they're willing to surrender their lives and trust and hope, not in their power to get themselves to you, but in the work that you have done and provided to bring us to your presence. Lord, thank you for your presence. Lead us and guide us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand now and pray or sing our hymn.